Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. So Glenn, thanks for coming. Yeah, for sure. Thank really you. appreciate this. Yeah, you can tell tell your story. Tell us about you. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I'm you know alcoholic addict. Um, I'm in recovery for about a year and a half now. Oh, so okay, right on. It's been a, it's been interesting. <laughs> well, I bet it is. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And uh, you know, at this point in my life, I I'm giving back, of course, in the program, but also. With my new role in life, um, hmm. I'm a street outreach worker. Okay. So I do, you know, the nitty well, gritty and. Yeah, congrats. Yeah. It's right been, on. It's been good. I enjoy it a lot. Is that your first job in the field? Uh, I used to, when I tried sobriety before, um, even the, like I don't even consider it sobriety because mm. I wasn't treating the, the root, the spirituality. But you were trying. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I didn't. I believed because I was on six pills a day for like six months to mm. a year. I can't really remember. So it was like non-narcotic, but like antidepressants, mood stabilizers, yeah. because like, you know, I thought that that was my cap because of the, mm. the family dynamic that I had been in. And so, yeah. Um, so I tried to work at shelters before. And uh, so, I, yeah, it was, it's been fulfilling for right sure. On. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so where do you want me to start? You start wherever you like. We can go all the way back to when you were just a little munchkin. Oh, Whenever sure. you want, yeah. Sounds good. So, um, yeah, so... I'm assuming you were a munchkin at some point. I would, I, from what I remember. Yeah, like <laughs> I remember myself being a munchkin too. Yes. So, yeah, I grew up um, in Nelson, BC. That's where I was born. And uh, we grew up mm. pretty poor. Mm -hmm. um, like, my dad is an alcoholic, which I also believe there's other other mental health issues there. Um, and so we broke, like my mom tells me stories about um, growing up and we couldn't afford milk because my dad would be out drinking or blah, blah, blah. So she just had to use like sugar water mm -hmm. just to kind of keep going. And so I moved, we moved out of there. I was about three. And then uh, around five, we moved to another small town of like a population of like 100 and 50. Oh, wow. So really small. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, yeah, that was kind of the, the stint of what I remember. Um, there were, there was a lot of drinking, um, you know, uh, family dynamics. So I'm part Cree. And so 
Cree Métis, and so half of my family was residential schools, 60 scoop mm. stuff, so there was a lot of addiction, mental health that way. And then my father's side, you know, addictions and mental health. Actually, I was named after a person who was in substance use and stuff like that, which is interesting. So, mm. um, yeah, I don't know if, you know, people say, is it genetic predisposition? It doesn't matter, family dynamic. But I know that, um, so with my... Well, some say there is and some say there well, isn't, yeah, right? Well, like, yeah, so, there is, like, statistics, but yeah. I don't think it's the core root of it. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like... Um, so my dad was always an alcoholic and, and just weird things. Like he would, um, like he'd go like play these games. He'd be like, I'm going to take you out to the woods with like an ax and like pretend to actually like I'm going to kill you. Um, and so that was kind of like my norm, right? Mm. Coming in a small town, I'm like, maybe other fathers are like this. Maybe they have family mm. around. They must know and that must be safe. Yeah. And so that was kind of the thing. Mm. right so I never really knew better and my mom is a normie and my mom was just doing our best right mm. she had we we're I'm a family of four um older sister and then younger brother and younger sister so um she was just trying like to to keep afloat right mm. and keep us safe so yeah that went on for a while I she had moved out and for a bit there and then I went to school and I like my anxiety and my like not feeling part of the human world was started when I was young. Like, um, I had my first anxiety attack actually at the age of seven. And I oh, remember wow. it so vividly. Cause I remember being like having this anxiety attack about dying. Mm -hmm. Like, and as a seven year old, like that's not behavior. Like I didn't even know about death, but mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this is like, I'm, I'm dying right now. And, um, so that was like a norm for me. Yeah. yeah. Like if I'm to look outside myself, like, I didn't necessarily have a chance mm -hmm. <laughs> when it came to, you know, the path. Um, so, yeah, um, going forward, um, at the age of 12, I was sexually abused um, pretty graphically. It was uh, filmed and, from what I gather, was put on the internet, mm. dark web. And that's really when the addiction set in. Um, mm -hmm. I remember, you know, obviously the individual, like, used substances to, like, kind of like null and void that mm -hmm. and I remember again vividly everything but I also remember being like well this this will make me numb right mm -hmm. this will make kind of the pain and everything go away so I'd, like probably at, like the age of 12 is probably when it started casual drinking or stealing drinks from like my dad and mm -hmm. little things like that um and I have an uh, like I forgot to mention, I have a, a wonderful, or had a wonderful uncle who was almost like a father figure to me. He would, you know, let us stay over at his house. Right. He was great, had like a good moral value. He actually stopped drinking just without like a program or anything. And so he, he helped a lot. And, you know, like I, I considered him like a father figure for mm -hmm. sure. So yeah, going back around 12, like I would be at school, um, again, not fitting it. And then um, I always knew I was gay mm. throughout. And then at the age of 13 is when I decided to come out. And then I came out in a town. So like right by my, my hometown, there's another town which is devoutly religious. And nothing against religion. Obviously, we're here in a church. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, there are some things against religion. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. There's yeah. some great aspects. And now that I'm outside of it, I can see that. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, like, I can see now, too, like, my part in, like, 
not liking religion because I was taught, you know. Um, so I was a very religious town, came out, and so everything that people knew about me, I deserved that mm. from them. Like the children, the teachers, like, you know, they didn't know what to do with that because they didn't know what that was. And so the, the belief against God, like I remember when I was younger, I wanted to believe in something, mm -hmm. right? Because I felt like I had a wounded part of me that wasn't physical or obviously it felt emotional and mm -hmm. mental, but there was something bigger and I wanted to believe in something bigger. But then I went down the path of why would he let this happen? All the people around me are religious and I didn't want to be like them. So I, st I completely stopped believing in everything. Um, and that's where my self-reliance and stuff like that. And at the age of 13, I was like drinking behind the church and getting, <laughs> getting tanked at school. Um, and you know, get, and then this, that's when, you know, weed started too around that time. So, um, which I never really liked weed because of anxiety. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was a fun trip. Like, I'm going to die again. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine you not Never wanting that. Never had a good time yeah. with that at the young <laughs> age with that. Lots of puking and because you mix the two. Um, yeah, so I'm around 14 out of the closet. And that's also when my dysfunctional relationships started happening too. Because mm. I'm young, I'm trying to find what stability is and what... I see on TV of the LGBTQI2S plus community. Um, I'm seeing all these things and I'm like, oh, so we also had dial up at that point. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm 32 now. So dial up was still a thing. A lot of people yeah. won't remember that. The, the ring, yep. opening the phone and hearing the <laughs> get off my, you know, my brother, get off the phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the fun stuff of dial up. Um, but then, you know, I could go online and I could, talk to other gay people and um, I met this guy who was 25 and he had a kid and I'm 14 mm. and I was going to be the best dad at 14. Wow. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is mm -hmm. going to be good. I'm going to be, you know, and that like, I always fit in with the older crowd because I didn't fit in with my crowd because mm. I believe, you know, I went through so much that I, I had to kind of adapt to older people and, you know, drinking like 12 mm. year olds aren't drinking. They're still like, eh. And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. let's go get tanked. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was my first relationship. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where my, where that is at the age of 14, like just alcoholism, not full tilt like where it was, but then the, the weird relationship where I thought all these things were normal. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so at around the age, of, well, that would lasted like zero. <laughs> and then... Um, and then, so at the age of 16, we, at the school, we transferred to another school. And I think at that point, I don't know if I'm in grade 10 or 11, I, I dropped out because like I'm going, I already have this horrible thing against schools because of what I, I knew. So I moved into this other school and I dropped out. And I was a janitor at the time, just kind of doing like schooling, like at home, barely, bare bones. And I always was a good student. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I was like, when I would apply myself like minimally, I was just like B student and mm -hmm. got through that. Less math, but I'll come back to that funny story. Or I'll, I'll it'll, you'll hear. Um, so I dropped out doing janitor stuff. And then I'm like staying, just bouncing around. Like I wanted to escape at that even age. Like I was like, oh, I'll go to Vancouver. Um, I met someone in Vancouver. Oh, I'm going to stay with my sister. Because, you know, and I was having these these fights with my mom because I blamed her to some degree. 
about the the sexualized assault mm. and you know we had an intimate conversation at that point where we she broke down and i remember being like whoa i'm in the wrong here because she had nothing to do with it mm. and then i also wanted to get my shit together and so i i did 10 11 12 in one year and then wanted like at a time i wanted to be a graphic designer so i'm around from 16 to 18 i'm just like boom boom, boom get it all done um and I did. I graduated with everyone else, and that was, you know, pretty cool because I didn't, in my head, I didn't want to be a dropout at that mm -hmm. time. Just wanted to be, fit in, be a part of. Um, so then, yeah, after, so that was 2008, and I was wanted to be a graphic designer, and then the recession hit, so there was no money there. And um, so I moved to another town. Um, and at that point, my mom was like fed up with like mm. the drinking and the puking. And, you know, I wasn't like hardcore, but I was like, when I started, I just couldn't stop um, from a young age. Like, well, obviously, but like when I went, I went hard. And then, you know, I'd go back to school or I'd get drunk um, and I'd go there. I was hanging out at like trap houses and I was like, well, why don't I just live with these guys? Because they're older and they're doing drugs. and. You know, that's when I kind of started into the harder stuff, but I didn't really want to. And, you know, I just wanted to be with that crowd. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, 18, I've now um, getting around the age where, because in BC, you can drink at 19, mm -hmm. moved out. Again, another person I was starting dating, older, older guy. And uh, that's when I started to become like 19 was like, bam, bar mm -hmm. star time. like. And that's what I became at the young age. I was like working at a coffee shop. We'd get off work, use our tip money to get beer. And then on Saturday, whatever, it could be a Wednesday, um, just get absolutely sloshed, go to this bar that was like the super dingiest bar. It's like renowned for being like, you'd say it in BC. And if they know it, they're like, oof, that's gross. Mm. You okay? <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I'm sure there are a few. Like the old Cecil here. Yeah, no, it's called shotguns. Of course it was. It's a small town, of, yeah. you know, by there's horses and shit everywhere. So, um, yeah, and so I was becoming the bar star there. And so I worked that way for a while. The relationship, oh, and that's when like cheating became a thing too. So, mm -hmm. you know, I always believed that people always were, you know, not cheaters, whatever. And then I found out with the guy I was with, he had cheated on me. And that's, again, I was like, well, then everyone must. So yeah. then I started too. Um, again, very black and white thinking throughout. Mm -hmm. Like everything's either this or this. Um, so then we broke up. I'm living, <laughs> I moved into my friend's closet, which was funny because it's not even, like it's the size of, I don't know, my whole body plus a little bit extra. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, shit, I'm back in the fucking closet. Um, <laughs> that's uh, not fun. That is not a good time. But not a good time. No, it was, it was not. But um, <laughs> while I was working at the coffee shop, I was approached to start, again, I was going to escape to Edmonton, uh, get an insurance position and be, get some stability because mm -hmm. I saw what these people had. They had, you know, suits and stuff and blah, blah, blah. They come into my coffee shop and like, they looked like they were happy. And so I was approached to go work at the bank. And I did. Um, and that's, that's when I was like, oh, cool. Like, this is what happy looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's got money, blah, blah, blah. 
And I also met my husband at that time during that whole thing. And he worked in pharmaceutic, or he was a pharmacy tech. And uh, so we did that, married, shotgun wedding. I only, mm. He was from the States, and I think, oh gosh, I don't even know. We got engaged over Skype. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's just kind of telling <laughs> yeah. you what the shotgun part of it mm-hmm. was. Get, get married, get him here, get him his pharmacy stuff, and I'm going to have a normal life, like white picket, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you know, get started with kids, blah, blah, blah. My addiction at that point was like closet drinking because mm-hmm. I didn't want, you know, people to know. And bankers are pretty heavy duty drinkers, okay. you know. Um, but they, from what I've gathered, like we were, we had beer downstairs. Like we would go Christmas, mm-hmm. you'd be trashed and like doing someone's mm-hmm. wire transfer. <laughs> Just, Does this number look right? Mm-hmm. Sure. I can't see it on my end. So you, can you read it out? <laughs> Um, just the funny things like that, you know, my first shift, like I actually went downstairs and I thought I was getting in trouble and my manager cracked a beer and we're like, yo, okay, this is cool mm-hmm. too. Um, and so one of the final ugly moments was when, um, so I had been stuffing down, you know, sexual trauma, all that stuff. And then my boss, um, had approached me and, or I had this client come in and it, it was actually the brother of the person who sexually assaulted me. And I saw mm-hmm. that and I went to my boss. I'm like, for personal reasons, I can't take this client. And there, she basically in summation, she said like, if you don't take this client, there'll be repercussions against your job. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. And at that time we were sales, like mm-hmm. in banking it no longer was like numbers. It was like sell visas, sell mm-hmm. shit. And so I had really good sales because us addicts, alcoholics, are mm-hmm. really good at manipulating the shit out of people. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the stories in the books, car salesmen, you know, yeah. stocks, and yeah. we're really good at manipulating. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty um, good at that. Good con artists before mm-hmm. we know we're con artists. Um, and so, I'm just gonna turn this off. Sorry if this is cut. It's all good. All right. um, and so, yeah, I'm doing all that, my repercussions. And I remember that that week was when I just drank, drank, drank. And mm-hmm. I had tried to um, ha- uh, act on suicide. Sorry, he's going to take a picture. Oh, okay. And we forget if I don't say something. Uh, for sure. And um, so, you know, that's when I started. Like, I had been, like, suicidal at some degree. Oh, again, to go backtrack, when I was 12... Um, that's when I started antidepressants actually, mm-hmm. you know, at 12. So again, that was my belief was like, oh, well, I'm going to be on antidepressants my whole life. Oh, I'm going to be on mood stabilizers mm-hmm. my whole life. And so, you know, after that spiral um, and the ideation, I was put in the psych ward, obviously. And that, that was actually, I didn't hate it. <laughs> like, okay. they were kind of like, oh, these people, I get them and like, mm-hmm. I get the brain. Like, this is actually kind of comfortable. And did they help you? Oh, oh yeah. Helpful? yeah, yeah. Right well, because they saw that there was an addiction there. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people go there during their addiction yeah. because you know. Um, so they were really sweet there, um, and then I became a regular. But that was mm-hmm. throughout that period. It's like, oh, hey, Glenn again. Like, <laughs> hey. Um, and that's also when um, the actual like um, seizures and blah 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 started mm-hmm. like. Be- from not drinking. Like if I didn't drink, I would go into DTs really bad. Um, 
the sweats, the puking, the, mm -hmm. the seizures. So I'd be in and out of detox too. So I'd be like, gosh, in my life, I think I've been to like 50 times mm. in detox because wow. it was like a drink and then, you know, drink for two weeks and then I'd just stop. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to quit and then I'd go into withdrawal and yeah. the ugly and go back into detox where they taper me off with medication and just back and forth. Psych wards in there mm. all the time because of drinking and psychosis mm. from withdrawal. Um, in psychosis, eh? Oh, the shadow people. Mm. They are my, they're awful. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, they're my favorite. No, yeah, they're no, not. No, well, because mine were funny. You know, you hear about shadow. Mm -hmm. Mine were like shadow mortal combat people. Oh, like wow, they looked okay. like Mortal Kombat people. Yeah. So like the, the guys with the mass like Sub-Zero yeah. or whatever. So that was fun. Not only are Fair they enough. shadow people, but now they're like ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> and all you hear in your head is, finish him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, they're here to kill me or whatever. And um, Wow. Yeah, that was fun. Um, good time. And then also like, that's also when I started to go into a, like a state of not even trying anymore, mm -hmm. you know, like medicated, blah, blah, blah. And so we had tried treatment um, because back home they had addictions nurses who were really good at, I don't know if they have that here, but just really good at being one-on-one, -on -one, uh, like going to medication, blah, 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 kind of helping you try to get better. Um, and so they got me into this really expensive treatment center in BC, like the top of the line kind of mm -hmm. one. And... You know, I went and I did not know what I was doing. I didn't mm -hmm. know about what detoxes were. And still at this day, I'm like, I know mm -hmm. I go into seizures, I get medicated and then um, I'd go try my own self-reliance. You know, mm -hmm. they'd tell me like, try the program. And I'd be like, yeah, I'll go to like two meetings and then drink a Mickey afterwards mm -hmm. and stuff that above. Actually, it, it, well, there's a funny story. It's not that haha -ha funny, but um, so back home. Well, we'll be the judge of that. Yes, you, you can decide. <laughs> but uh, so back home, I was like hiding a lot of alcohol from my, you know, my everyone, my mm -hmm. mom and, you know, husband. And in our basement, we have the laundry room and they have this like little cutout thing. I think they were trying to put a fan in. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'd like stash my empties in the top. Mm -hmm. And at the bitter end of getting out of there, there was like no room and it was starting to fall into the walls. Like oh, there was wow. nothing. Yeah. And I remember like digging through when I was like super in withdrawal and be like, oh my God, there's got to be something. Oh, I must have left one when I was tanked or go check out the bushes mm -hmm. around the house or just stashing it anywhere, any old where. So that was whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, I forgot to mention, I had a doctor during this time. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so anxious all the time, blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm gonna half tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. He's like, do you drink? I'm like, you know, I not, not the worst. I think like everyone else. Yeah. You know, the anxiety was from drinking <laughs> mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So he got me on like benzos, like Xanax. And so anytime I, so I was high as a kite all the time. I remember taking my first one and then I had an appetite and I remember being like, the grass is green. And I'm like, mm -hmm. this is what every normal person must feel like. I'm mm -hmm. just like happy. And so I was happy go lucky. Of course I abused the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I was drinking on top of them. And my doctor kept like just loading me up. I'm like, well, you know, I lost my last one. Just any old mm -hmm. way, like, oh, the anxiety's not there. And he would, whatever. And then one of my detoxes, he was actually in detox with me. Oh. Unfortunately, yeah. He oh. was a, a war vet. 
uh, with PTSD. Unfortunately, he um, died by suicide, mm. um, which was, you know, sad because he was a really good guy, yeah. obviously. And, He's too bad. Um, yeah. So coming off of those two was the worst um, probably thing I can imagine that I went through. Because, mm-hmm. like, they're, like, sure, booze is bad to come off of, but then there's booze and benzos, which mm-hmm. take you off of alcohol. Mm-hmm. So they can't, like... They're like, what the shit do we do with this kid? Yeah, they can't give, they can't give you the benzos <laughs> no, to help. Yeah. No, to like, they can give you a little bit and make sure mm-hmm. you don't die along the way. Um, and also at that time, because if I'm mixing them, apparently there's a few times where I had to be resuscitated. I don't mm-hmm. remember. There was one time that I had went out of town and took every other drug and went to another town and I was in like a field in the middle of winter with like a shirt on and like they had to like resuscitate me or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and I, I woke up and I laughed. I was like, you guys, it wasn't that big a deal. And like, you know, my whole family's there emotional. And I'm like, mm. guys, come on, not that bad. Um, just a no, re- no concept of reality. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this is like, just like nothing. Um, so yeah, I went to detox, went to this fancy treatment center, didn't know what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. Um, they, like my insurance from the bank paid for a chunk of it. And then I paid for a chunk of it. So it came to about 60 to $70,000. Wow. And because I wanted to, you know, go to stage two and blah, 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 and the lavish, blah, blah, blah. And they did step work, but it was like one, two, three. And I was like, mm-hmm. so like, yeah, I have an allergy, blah, blah, blah. So I got back home, was doing like writing out my, my defects every day, basically. And like being an alcoholic, self-deprecating, I'm like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm a piece mm-hmm. of shit. So I was writing that out. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's going to work great for mm-hmm. not drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that whole thing lasted about three months. And so I'd only go to these meetings because they, and when they talk about step like four, I'd be like, I'm not doing that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I did one, two, three. Like you guys, I don't need it. You guys need it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have medication. You guys yeah. must need medication. You guys sound fucking depressed. Like, mm-hmm. like what are you guys talking about? And uh, laughing about what you're, I don't know. Um, so that lasted, that 70 grand lasted about three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I was on disability. I went back to work, came off work again. And then I went, like, after that whole sexual abuse thing, you know, I tried to go back and I'd have to see my boss every day, blah, blah, blah. And I just, mm-hmm. I gave up. And so, um, yeah, I'm around 25 now, I want to say. Um, got divorced. Obviously, my husband left. He couldn't handle that. And I, rightfully so, I wouldn't have stayed with me either. Mm-hmm. And, my mom couldn't handle me because, you know, I was now drinking anything I could get my hands on, mostly wine and blah, blah, blah. And she wouldn't have me in the house because then I would detox at her house and seizure out. And, you know, we have nephews at this time and didn't want to see that and always sick and sick and sick. And then I couldn't stay in the house. So um, I would just stay in the shed behind the house. Mm-hmm. And I lived in there for I don't even know how long. And... uh so I would just get sick, blah, 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 walk down liquor store, go live in the shed, have like a blanket, just chill and like, oh, it's summertime or cold or whatever. Mm. Hopefully a deer doesn't eat me or some shit mm. or bear or whatever. <laughs> Hope for the best. Those vicious, sneaky deer out there oh. like creeping around in the bushes. Yeah, they don't mess yeah. around. No. And there's like bear country. So I was yeah. like, maybe I'll get eaten, whatever. Hopefully not. And... um so yeah, then I started, so I'm about 26, 27, I did that for a while, bounced around, um, would do these, like, go on the internet and try and find people, 
Um, oh, and I forgot to mention, sorry, I'm kind of bouncy, but... Go wherever you like. Um, when I'm about 25, 26, I was obviously cheating on my husband, because again, you know, he must be cheating on me too. Mm. Um, and I'd met, so I did the atypical white girl thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to get better around 26 with the medication and, you know, I was doing all right. And uh, met this personal trainer and I knew him from high school and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, then we started a fling. Mm -hmm. Like who, like that sounds like the tennis player. You hear him on TV, like mm -hmm. I slept with my tennis trainer, my personal <laughs> trainer. Yeah. That was me at this point. <laughs> Um, and he, it turns out he was an escort, so, um, he was, so I thought that was cool, mm -hmm. right? Like I can be mysterious and be, feel good about my body and, you know, get money for it too. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm on disability from the bank. So I'm getting that money and then I'm trying to side hustle with, you know, escorting. Um, but then I was be, being manipulative too. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll get some more money and I'll tell your wife or husband, blah, 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 or husband because I would never do it for women uh, or wife and uh, so I was trying to get milk money out of people and then um, this person was also not out of the closet or wasn't out of the closet and so he was like very aggressive we like I got gay bashed with him because he was owed money for other drugs mm. and I was on coke at the time but eat coke was easy to drop for mm. me I know that that's like a super really hard one but I was able to be like no, because I was always drunk when mm -hmm. I did it. So, um, so yeah, I started escorting, and then we got into a huge fight. I threw him through a glass table, actually. It splashed everywhere. There's, like, blood everywhere. We had to get this, that, this, that. And then I, there was something that broke in me, and actually my partner had come back to me at that time. And I went to another, I had, like, a meltdown. I wanted to get better, and I actually, you know, started to get better. When I would go to a detox, I would go to, like, a, being half First Nations, I could go work or go stay at like a halfway houses and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so I would, and I'd get better for a bit, and then I'd go back out, blah, blah, blah. But they really were trying to help me. And I also got into um, my culture a little bit more because mm -hmm. we never really talked about our cream AT side ever um, because of the 60s scoop and stuff like that. We'd, it would be talked about a bit, but I remember it was being brought up and people were just like my grandma and all them were, were chilling out, out there and talking and they brought it up and just tears and anger and all this stuff. So I was like, I don't want to, I know my, my family has darker skin. I just don't want to, you know, so we didn't talk about it. Then I got back in or got into this, um, first nation side of me and it sparked what I like to call like blood memory mm -hmm. where I didn't know much about it, but it just felt a part of me mm -hmm. and still is. Um, and so I started doing that and that was helping my spirituality a little bit. Sure. I was like really, really medicated, but I wanted to believe again. And that mm -hmm. was a cool part for me. You know, I, I would do all this stuff and I wanted to, but, um, then my self-reliance came mm -hmm. over my addict brain. And, um, so I'm staying at that, that place and I'm doing better. And there was some program that the First Nations had where you could get into like addictions medicine. Mm -hmm. So I did. I got an, an, a diploma in addictions medicine because I was going to cure myself, mm -hmm. which did not help my program mm -hmm. because now step one, two, three, all that things were 
just to me just like non-jargon because mm -hmm. i'm like you know that it's your free parental cord blah, 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 like your reward risk system and if you're on this your suboxone can help you you guys are all fucking stupid mm -hmm. that was my belief is that anyone in you know any program or in recovery didn't understand recovery like mm -hmm. i knew even doctors mm -hmm. they don't know <laughs> they haven't done the research they have no idea no idea no it was just me and i could tell them too just super egotistical mm -hmm. And so then I started losing contact with that because, you know, I went back to drinking. Um, and then, so yeah, I'm back homeless. I'm back um, staying in hotels and blah, blah, blah. And then um, I had met yet again another person and they lived here in Calgary. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, this will be the one. You know, at this point, I'm living in a ha hotel trying to, like, stuff down that I'm an alcoholic. How he didn't, like, run away at first is, mm -hmm. like, baffling. <laughs> like, I'm like, you should probably... But, and, you know, in hindsight, I would have been, like, run. But, um, so I moved here. And probably in about three months, he saw that I was drinking way more than most. I was, like, paying rent, but then I wouldn't look for a job because I was on disability, blah, blah, blah. And um, so he kicked me out, and now I'm houseless in another town with my family who want to help me, but they can't. Mm -hmm. There's no blah, blah, blah. It, the best thing my mom did for me was actually kick me out because mm -hmm. I would have never stopped manipulating her to get me money to, for a shelter, for a place to stay, as much as it must have destroyed her, and she's told me numerous times. Mm -hmm. Um, what it was like to just keep me away. And she's had to do it for my father, who was out of the picture since I was probably like 15. Mm. Um, and again, he was a cheater too, so I knew that. He actually has um, a few, I might have some, well, I know of one, some mm -hmm. brothers that don't know that the, all this other stuff. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, maybe one day when, if they know, I'll you know have a relationship mm -hmm. with them. But um, yeah, it must have been really you know awful, but it was probably a blessing because now I'm, in Calgary, no friends, no family, no nothing. And I like left his house with just a, a bag, right? And um, I'd also been in detox. So at this point, I'm on the street and for two months, apparently, and I don't like, there's a lot of blank space because in Calgary, I started to run out of money because it's expensive here. Mm -hmm. And I'm a small town boy and I have no resources. So I started staying in shelters, um, couldn't afford booze. So I started drinking like, it's COVID time. Mm. And so I was like mm. drinking hand sanitizer and rubbing mm. alcohol, like three bottles a day, like wow. purging that up and trying again because I didn't want to mm. have a seizure. So there was fear based around having seizures. So I got to just hold down this. And that was my cycle for like probably about four, maybe five to six months. Mm. That's very jargony because I have to, I haven't even looked back to know when I, when I moved here. Mm. So it's very like, oh, I don't know. Um, and so all that happened. I'd been jumped a few times. I got a caseworker because I was in detox or yeah, they, in the hospital 15 times in two months. Mm. So after that, they give you a caseworker and She's still my caseworker to this day, oh, okay. not on paper, but mm. <laughs> we're still close and she mm. still helps me throughout anything. Um, so yeah, I'm on the third floor drinking hand sani, rubbing alcohol, whatever I could smoke at this point. Mm. I don't even know. I know I had tried to IV use from what I mm. remember one time um, and just 
ugh, just utterly did not care. Um, I remember one time, and I'll come back to, or I'll tell you about this part, but um, I had brought in like 15 bottles of hand sani, and I was like, you guys, to the staff, I'm like, it's COVID, man. And they full tilt knew mm -hmm. I was like smuggling it, but that was my excuse. I still think that's funny. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, they, again, it's outsmarting. <laughs> we do think we're pretty smart. Oh, yeah, totally. And so, um, yeah, third floor DI, just basically not eating, not sleeping to get up to drink, to go back into the third floor and seizures and you name it. I was just at death's door. And in hind again, in hindsight, I just called it like purgatory where what does death look like, but what does even living look like? Mm -hmm. You know, like what do I want here? And I met a woman, she was a staff member, and she just got honest with me one day and just the basics question like do you want to live or die and I it clicked you know mm -hmm. you can hear something a thousand times and it's the thousand and one time it's mm -hmm. like oh shit and that's when it clicked like I don't know anymore and so this woman busted her ass off to um get me in like and I mean she pulled a lot of strings and like a lot of things and then like a, a week or so she had, at 1 a.m., she's like, look, I called in some phone calls. You know, someone mm -hmm. just discharged from detox. I want you in. She grabbed all my shit. Mm -hmm. she, for some reason, she said, get your toothbrush. And I, like, all my bags. Mm -hmm. um, so I got into detox. And um, at that point, like, things started to click. Like, maybe I do want to live. Like, you mm -hmm. know, I have things to live for. And things started to register, like, what was happening, everything. Like, even with my mom, like, so she kept me alive in so many ways. But one of the ones is I didn't want to have my mom have to put in like an obituary or tell mm -hmm. her family or my family that he had died of alcohol or blah, blah, or suicide. So I didn't know what that was. I didn't want her to have to go through that. And so that was another reason like I hadn't tried again. So I got into detox, you know, I'm looking at treatment centers and, um, still not knowing what I'm doing, like, you know, drinking that stuff and mm. just like, phew, like my brain's just gone. Um, and then coming off that, um, I was looking at treatment centers with my caseworker. She gave me a few to look at. And uh, so I phoned my mom and I was like, mom, what do I do? I gave her the list of treatment centers. And um, so she, we talked a lot about like my emotions and like I tried therapy. I forgot to mention, I spent every, mm. just like every other addict. I tried therapy, thousands of dollars would half, like I was paying to lie to therapists, mm. counselors. Um, and so, yeah, she said, like we had talked about the mental, about how I was, you know, I had my addictions medicine. So you get it, sure. You, you know about the physical response to it, all mm. that stuff. You know about emotions, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you know, the only thing that's kind of worked for you is spirituality. Mm. Why don't you try that again? And I'm like, yeah, shit, she's right. And so, mm. you know, and I still swear to God, my mom is in like Al-Anon or some program mm. because she throws like words out of the books. And I'm like, why are you lying to me, mom? Yeah. Like she's like, there was like an instance where she's like, is your fear based on this? And it's piddling up a resentment and is mm. money pulling these resentments? I'm like, you're fucking lying to me mm. right right now. Yeah. She still says no, but I disagree. Anyway, going back to that, <laughs> she threw that at me. Try spirituality again because it seemed to work. And I had found 
found this First Nations treatment program here in Calgary. Um, and I got into a sober living, like pre-treatment. And I was just given it, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, now I know what what kind of, what I help people with when they ask, like, if they don't want a program base or if they want to do some, just some some sort mm-hmm. of harm reduction, anything. And they ask, like, how I got sober. And I don't necessarily, like, stuff the program down anyone's throat because maybe it's not for everyone. For me, mm-hmm. it's the best thing that ever happened to me. But that's just me. I just say to people, like, I just, how did I get sober is I just started listening. Mm-hmm. I started to realize, like, I don't know what's best for me. And I probably never have. Mm-hmm. Um, so all these doctors and nurses and all these people, I don't know better than them. I, my path has never worked. Mm-hmm. These doctors know, nurses, this lady who saved my life knew what was best for me and it's working. So I tell people just to put your your self-reliance down just for a minute put that guard that you probably have from trauma and stuff Mm -hmm. to the best of your ability just just listen and do maybe just once and maybe hopefully that starts to click and Mm -hmm. maybe it takes some time but just try Mm -hmm. it because i know i know i get it i've you know houseless Mm because you know on and off for years um still trying to to rely on self i get how how it, it is to just go your own way because that's all you know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you come from dysfunction, you think dysfunction is the only thing that's going to work. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so, yeah, that's what I tell people is just listen, just listen, and hopefully it clicks because it clicked for me. Um, and then, yeah, so I went to this treatment center and, you know, started working the steps to the, like, avidly, though, because I was listening now, mm-hmm. right? I didn't know what the hell was good for me or bad for me. I smashed everything I knew. Um, I, the only thing I still kind of tell them about is I was manipulating the shit out of the them mm-hmm. getting into there, like, trying to get in, because so I'm in, like, a pre-treatment place, mm-hmm. and they had made the mistake of giving the me that one of their numbers Mm -hmm. so i'd call them every day Mm -hmm. this woman not the where i'm supposed to be calling this woman specific and being like hey did my application have this okay what's the wait time hey Mm -hmm. what's the wait time and so Mm -hmm. i was like just kind of whatever it's fine now but it's funny and then so they got me in desperate oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's and i didn't even notice at the time that i was just pushing and pushing and pushing Mm -hmm. because you know i was here listening to these people that tell me push 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 and do this, do this, do this. And so I was like, yeah. And these people probably know what's best for me because mm-hmm. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> and so, yeah, I got into, I smashed everything I, I knew about addictions, medicine, about all of the things, what I knew about spirituality. Mm-hmm. I, I just smashed that because I, I still had a, this idea of religion being the only way and all this stuff. And First Nations culture attached to religion, therefore mm-hmm. they've ruined it. All of the things. Um, and so, yeah, I started working the steps. I had an amazing counselor who said one thing, and it's not even the terminology that I believe it, but she said, you know, through all this stuff, your trauma and stuff, just radically accept it. Like Mm -hmm. just full tilt, do your best to just accept your past and your blah, blah, blah. And that worked for a long time. And so step one, I I understood, you know, we have an allergy, an obsession, a blah, blah, blah. And, you know, then I go to, to you're insane. Now I have to find a, a fucking God. Mm-hmm. And I hated the word God. And, you know, I hate, oof, 
It would just, mm. I wanted to believe in something, right? But it would just bring sh down my spine. It would bring up, mm. you know, every childhood, whatever. Um, so I wanted to believe in something. I hated the word God. Spirituality was working. I was getting back into my culture, but even creator, I was like, eh. So I just called it up mm. because mm. I was like, you know what? Like people, smoke goes up. Um, you know, people pray, they get on their knees, look up everyone's view of the word like clouds and god and shit's up pyramids and ufos and shit are up mm. <laughs> sure and that worked actually and i tell some people that because it works for them too yeah so then yeah did my other my steps again i have an amazing sponsor who is phenomenal he actually helped me a lot through like the almost psychosis of everything too because mm. i like through treatment i was still like having mm. the psychotic episodes and I'm like, oh, I want medication, blah, blah, blah. And he told me, he's like, so this is what I did. And he was this kind of the same tilt. He's like, again, I'm not giving any medical advice on this podcast. So just, <laughs> yep. this has never been. Yeah, we don't do that. Either. Yeah, let's try it. I'm just telling whoever's listening. Yeah. To, do not take my advice. It's just what worked for me. He said to me, like, so I tried for a year to not take things. And if I didn't murder someone or try to you know, end my life, mm. then just keep trying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that, I didn't want to murder anyone and didn't feel suicidal ideation. So I just went with it. And there was another girl who told me in the treatment center, um, she was an employee because I listened to all the staff. I wasn't mm. just like, you're not my counselor, so fuck you. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I listened to everyone and their stories. And there was a lady who had been on everything, same boat. Like the psychiatrist had given me borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, traits and then full tilt bipolar uh manic depressive blah 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 blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um and so exactly the same as her everything that she had i had and then she said this is what i did i got reassessed in three months and so i did and then reassessed in six months and mm -hmm. so it, just everything she told me and everything that she told me would happen happened like the traits the the full tilt borderline now became traits Mm -hmm. Bipolar became traits. Bipolar mm -hmm. now is nothing. It's not even on the thing, mm -hmm. but BPD, just traits. And anxiety, mm -hmm. pretty cool. And because mm -hmm. uh, no now doubt. I get it. It was just untreated addiction, untreated self-reliant, you know, mm -hmm. not spiritual malady, whatever people want to call it, wounded spirit. Um, and so, yeah, that was cool too. So yeah, in, the, in treatment, I got off of that stuff, did my, you know, understood I have defects of character, which um, a lot of them being like fear. I am, you know, it's been fear from the get-go and self-reliance and mm. me, 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 um, and people pleasing. That's another one, you know, that's another thing from coming from that dysfunction. I'm kind of a chameleon or can mm. be when it comes to people. I'm like, mm. oh, this will make them happy or, you know, and I'm working on it all, it's fine piece by piece. It's an ongoing process. Oh yeah. And I've accepted that too, mm. that this isn't like a one tilt. That was one thing too, as I like, I thought it would just be like normal. Like mm. one day I was going to be like, come on, like I see them doing it. They could mm. drink and they had a rough time and now they're normal. They have kids. Mm -hmm. They probably still drink like I do. <laughs> they probably stuff it in their fucking laundry room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They probably hide it behind the couch. Yeah. They totally do. Mm. Hide it from the kids. Like, mm. you know, um, so yeah, I understood like that I'm no longer that when I do one through 12, it's like lifelong, 
you know, mm. seven's like a lifelong one. Like all of them are kind of lifelong and mm -hmm. like you can do your steps, you can do set steps, you can, it's very malleable now or flexible for me. Um, and yeah, so I went through eight, nine and everyone kept talking about God shots and I was like, that's just, because mm. again, I was still on the teeter point of like, mm, maybe this is, because my analytical self-reliant attic brain would be like, yeah, but logically, mm. <laughs> this isn't, this is actually this. But like, so my brain would do that until I was able to reflect on my, my amends piece. And then I was reflecting on all the situations of my life and all the things that have happened and like the woman that had helped save my life and all that stuff. Um, I was like, hmm, these are too odd. And I was like, well, just throw something at me then. Mm. Whatever. And so one of my amends actually came and helped to help another person. Like, that was bizarre. Like, I was able to make an amends with the bank that I had, you know, been in the end just, like, horrible with, mm -hmm. you know, because I was in and out and I was on substance as well there. And I was honest and upfront. And then I helped her get a bank account. And I was like... I'm an addict, but here's my true story. You can use my name. Mm. I was pretty good as an employee back then. They actually let it happen, and she has... Because otherwise, she would have got kicked out of treatment because mm. she had no funding and all this cool stuff. And I was like, that's pretty odd. So maybe there's something here. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so step 11, for me, you know, spirituality, trying to understand a day and stuff like that is always evolving. And, and 12, you know, giving back. I think that's been the huge piece that I've, I've strived for is even when I had started to get better and I don't mean in a people pleasing way. Mm -hmm. I, it didn't feel like people, I wasn't a chameleon. I do believe that most people actually do want to help people, mm -hmm. you know, when they get into recovery, they do want to do these things. Um, and yeah, that's what I strive for is to just, I'm doing these things because in my heart of hearts, I know where my calling is, is to help another person. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> And so, and it's working too, because like, you know, it's been a year and a half of, you know, program and, you know, rough patches and not rough patches. And, you know, I kind of just started accepting everything and talking to people and still receptive to doctors and mm -hmm. religious people and blah, blah, blah. And the first time I shared my story, actually, um, I was so nervous and all of these flash flood memories were coming in and, uh, it was hurt. There's pain, pain. And I was reaching out. No one was answering. And I was like, okay, I just got to get somewhere to whatever. And I remember I was like, I'm ready to go to fucking church. Like, mm -hmm. I want to go to church. I don't know if these people, whatever. I just mm -hmm. need something connection, some sort of connection to another person or, you know, a God as they see God. Cause I want to find a God right now. And mm -hmm. that was pretty cool too. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like That's ready wild, to, man. to be like, yes, mm -hmm. this is what I want to try. And, um, yeah, so I, 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 I help people now. I work my steps, I work my program, and I just, I see myself as helping people mm. and showing them that, like, coming from, you know, from what I see, and that's the thing is there's so many gaps, too. I thought I was only houseless for, like, two years. Mm. Mom's like, no, you were, like, five. Last yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> there are some pieces. So, mm -hmm. you know, they'll come when they come. I'm not going to rush into trying to fix them. Um. And like even the guy that had sexually abused me going back again, um, I had gone to court and won. And so for a person who 
never they don't win these court cases mm -hmm. i thought that was the healing piece but that was only a piece of it mm -hmm. the, the healing comes for me from spirituality from understanding who i am because i thought if i was cured of the trauma mm -hmm. then i'd be fine and drink again mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah it doesn't work like that you know yeah it sadly is not how it works no <laughs> not at all so yeah now i've i've got my own place you know that's another cool thing for me i've never had my own place because congratulations again, yeah it's been great it's for a few months it's 10 minutes that way and right on really quiet um i had been working you know street outreach with one organization that was great because they were you know on the harm reduction spe mm -hmm. uh, spectrum in some way whether it be abstinence or medication or mm -hmm. you know active use but can manage life and so it's nitty gritty mm -hmm. and I love nitty gritty. I'm an addict right and on. I love chaos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but right now, you know, I had actually, let's see, yesterday I had just signed up for a new organization that's well known in, in the community and cool. Yeah. And I'll be doing the same thing, case management, all the little pieces of, mm -hmm. of things that had, had helped me. One of the biggest things that had happened and it was about two, maybe three weeks ago, I was doing an outreach and at the drop-in where I had been living. And I was always like, at the first when I started this, like maybe I'll see her, maybe I'll see mm -hmm. her. And we're in there and we're trying to get someone out of the van to in the place we need a wheelchair. I go and get a wheelchair, um, blah, blah, blah. And then both the doors are open and this woman looks at me and she's like, Glenn? I was like, yeah. And I couldn't remember because she had a mask on. And mm. she's like, oh, my God. Blah, blah, blah. And so, like, this shit's going on. People are whatever. And we're just behind the man. Like, mm. Just like, oh, my God. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's me. It's me. Um, God, I wish I could say her name on this podcast. But her, it's one of the uh, odd, I call it, if it's odd, it's God moments, is I have a tattoo behind my ear of a fairy. Mm. And in treatment, it was the kind of same fairy that... I wouldn't say fairy, but just like an orb or something mm. on, behind my ear. It's, it's a fairy. And, um, it always tells me like, hey, listen, or hey, watch out for this. Or, mm. You know, little things mm -hmm. that it's, I don't see that anymore. But like, it's always like a reminder that like, hey, this is something you should watch. Mm -hmm. Or hey, just maybe there's something here. Her name is actually the same name as the one behind my tattoo, mm. because I didn't remember her name. I'm yeah. like, that's fucking weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, so I got to meet her and it's a small world. emotional and mm. um you know i'm doing case management she works now part-time in the building that i'm so i'm gonna see her all the time right on and that i don't know what where that's to describe anything but i never thought i was gonna meet her but like she mm. helped save my life she asked me the one question that and she worked so hard and you know we laughed we cried we mm -hmm. hugged we you know I emailed her i have a picture with her which i'll show you after um and life's good you know i'm in therapy with an amazing therapist now i'm got this new job um i've got this and that and i'm working through this self-deprecation that i'll do or when's the next shoe going to drop all this stuff mm -hmm. and it's getting better and easier spirituality is growing as you know i'm trying out mm -hmm. this new meditation and yeah I, I look forward to it um i'm looking into you know my own culture um trying to find my roots. Mm -hmm. um, I know bits and pieces were, were woodland, Cree, so somewhere up there. Um, this is before we even knew Saskatchewan was a thing. It was like mm. Northwest Territories in the middle yeah. of all. So that's as far back as I can go. And um, 
you know, and I've, I've just, I got a dog. She's an absolute fucking terror and I love it. <laughs> Six month old Husky Collie. Oh so my goodness. She is a handful, I but bet. she is such a cool dog. Mm -hmm. um, she's happy. She's non-aggressive. We take her out for walks. She's good with other dogs. Calm actually mm -hmm. when she wants to be, which is seldom, but you know, happiness has changed. That definition has changed so much for me. And I don't even strive for it anymore. That's the cool piece about mm. this whole recovery journey is I don't strive for happiness because I've never really know what happiness is because it changes so mm. much. Um, sometimes it's, or before it used to be a relationship. And then, bef then it was money, money. And then it was this or that medication. Mm. Then it was therapy that I have to be happy, blah, blah, blah. Um, between the program, my fellowship, people like you, doing meditation, um, the things I get to do. Happiness for me is actually just being content mm -hmm. with whatever's thrown my way. It's not material. It's not, it's just being able more times than not putting my head to my pillow and saying today was a good day. Mm -hmm. Knowing full tilt, it's never going to be like, yeah. nah. you know, I'm, I'm glad I feel emotion now. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad I feel emotion. Like I'd heard this, this thing and it it's uh it's a really cool way that i see things so i like this woman says like imagine you're this energy and creator what have you call it says do you want to go to the earth for just mm -hmm. a very brief time and experience every emotion and it's like without question fuck yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> so i embrace emotion because they're they're there for a reason um sometimes they're skewed sometimes they're not but they're there and I get to feel them now. Mm -hmm. I've never felt these emotions since I was 12. Mm -hmm. So they are extreme and, but they're extremes that are sometimes really low where I get to experience those spiritual experiences mm -hmm. where I get the highs too. Yeah. And sometimes the neutral, like they're all magical when I get, mm -hmm. when, when I'm not in it, <laughs> Yeah, there's always in hindsight cause it's mm -hmm. like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> totally. But in hindsight, they're all little magical moments mm -hmm. where I learn something from it or I, I'm able to communicate it or show it to another person that you can get through it. Or you are able to have that opportunity mm -hmm. to feel like the max capacity of present. The only like the main, like I've had happy blah, blah, blah moments, but there's one moment when I was, because I, I used to work at the houseless shelter, the detox mm. that I got into on Sundays, and I'd go help out here and there, float mm -hmm. around, be sassy, sassy old me. <laughs> right on. Yeah, and uh, I just remember everything was just an atypical day. Sunday, go get my $17, call it gay coffee. It's like an iced latte, blah, blah, <laughs> some, some really elaborate drink. And I'm just walking, and it just hit me that everything everything in this exact moment is exactly what it's supposed to be. Mm. And I can accept everything in this moment for exactly as it is mm -hmm. and what may come in the future. And of course I had to phone my sponsor and be like, and, and I've only had like one or two, but primarily this one. I was like, dude, I'm on point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Cause that's what it felt mm -hmm. like. I'm literally on the point exactly where I'm supposed to be. It feels good. It feels present. Mm -hmm. It feels weird. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, more times than not, my head is actually on the pillow and um, got a good job. Got always had good jobs. Got great mm -hmm. friends, great friends who actually want to see me succeed. I still have my best friend mm -hmm. from when I was like 15. 
oh, we wow. hated each other at first, yeah. which is funny. I think that's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and our relationship has never been better. Um, my family just came down for Christmas. And it's those amends, picking up those pieces. I tried at first being like, okay, I'm gonna, how do I do this? And my mom coming from both sides, she's like, just be you, be mm-hmm. sober. That's enough, that's good, that's great. Same with my, my brothers and stuff. My sister, not so much at first, but she's come around and now mm-hmm. we're thick as thieves. We talk every day, send each other funny memes with our dark humor. <laughs> right on. And so, yeah, I think that's all I've got for now. I Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much, Glenn. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was I, amazing. Kind of bouncy, but yeah, if you have I any, like bouncy. Yeah, and that's the other thing is being an open book. Mm-hmm. That has helped a lot of people for me, I believe. Mm-hmm. Being an open book, being very candid, um, like just being like, yeah, that happened to me. Mm-hmm. This is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And as a peer, I don't know your, I don't know what actions happened to you. I don't know the action, but fuck yeah, I know the the feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have been through that horrible wretched, yeah. and I, I, I know pretty close to what that feeling is. So. Mm. But, yeah. Right on. Thank you, sir. Yes. No, thank you that for awesome. asking me to share. I know it was a bit all over, but like I had said, I was just out of the hospital before I got here. I had a bit of a hiccup with some medication. and. Yeah. Uh, but you're okay? Oh, yeah. No. I. Uh, well, we really appreciate you coming, and you yeah. just got out of the hospital. Yeah. I know. Well, <laughs> I, I, uh, they, they just, like... Because, like, the hiccup was nothing, really. Mm. It was just, like, a stint and I had to wait. And I'm like, I'm really going to get to this podcast, so let's go. Because <laughs> I want to be here. Again, someone might hear this and really get something out mm-hmm. of it. And, you know. For sure, um, somebody will. For sure. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm right glad. on. Well, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Glenn. This is awesome.